welcome to episode two of Billionaires in Boxers. I'm Phil Pellucci, joined by Justin as usual, and today we are joined by Matt Zinman. Uh, Matt, got a lot of love for you, man. This is going to be an interesting show. Wonderful. I'm feeling it. You know what? It, it was. It, I was. It was a shame we couldn't show you what went on before because we've had about a 20 minute discussion <laughs> before this, and uh, that was gold. Although I'm not sure it could go out at the time slot that this show is scheduled for. So we, <laughs> we may need to. We to... might be able. To, we might be able to send it to HBO or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, they'll pay nothing for it, but good luck. <laughs> they'll take it. Of course they will. They'll show the content. Um, Matt is the author of Zism's Insights to Live By. Um, fascinating book that's come out. Amazon are really pushing it hard at the moment. I keep seeing you everywhere I go. So your retargeting campaigns are working quite nicely, Matt. Well done. Um, I love it. I did a bit of research on you and now you're stalking me all over the internet. I am. Don't go too far. <laughs> yeah exactly well i'm quarantined to my house how far can i go that's true it's true <laughs> so, man, um, my question to you is do you know where my pink palace is oh i'll find it if i need to <laughs> <laughs> you'll get your ip address and find your disney Come across the pond it might be a little challenging but yeah. well you can't fly at the moment so i, I mean the lengths that you'll go to for revenge is just you in a rowboat across the atlantic swimmer I'm coming i'm coming <laughs> i'm coming <laughs> No. Welcome to Africa. Good luck, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. Um, but look, thank you so much for joining us, Matt. I wondered if we could just kind of start with a little bit about you, obviously, as our guest for, for our audience that, that haven't come across you before. Do you want to just give us a little bit of insight into to you and, and what you do and, and Zisms? Oh, thank you. Thanks, Phil. So uh, I uh, my background is in journalism and marketing public relations. I had a career uh, in that field, working for agencies in and around Philadelphia, uh, the birthplace of my nation here in America. And I uh, then went into the field of internships. I started a nonprofit called the Internship Institute, have done that for uh, about another 15 years, and then uh, just published the book Zisms Insights to Live By, which is personal development and interpersonal growth and, and things of that nature. Love it. There has never been a more prevalent time for that message has there exactly i mean i mean we it's 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 time that people start hearing a, a message that's not uh not negative and looking at all the the bad things that are out there but we look we need to start looking at, at what the positives are and how we can actually uplift ourselves from from whatever situation we find ourselves not just the current situation but all situations going forward our world's constantly changing and if we're not changing with it we're stagnating yeah, it's been really rewarding. I mean, certainly no one could foresee what situation we're in right now, but, you know, I, I, I wrote it to make the positive impact. So uh, as, as great as that can be, or even greater with everyone trying to adjust, that's you know, all the more rewarding and, you know, um, hoping it helps. Good. I'm sure it will. I mean, Amazon certainly thinks so, and, and they tend to know what they're pushing. Um, they certainly know when they get it right, when they're, do you know what? Amazon have so much more money of mine than I intended to give them. I know we're going off on a tangent now, but it's that whole you buy something and then it's like people who bought this also like this. And then there's a huge list of things that I also now want to buy. Yeah, you and everyone. Very clever marketing. Um, so look, we'll, we'll come on to, to Zizims in a little bit when we go on to the brainstorming session, um, because I think that's when we can really get a bit of an insight into that. But but just, in a, just to touch on something you just said before we move on to the, the question point for today um, about looking at the positives. I think there's a lot of humor in what's happening as well. Um, I mean... Yeah. It's, there's always like comedians like Frankie Boyle, people like that are, are notorious for looking at sort of dark humor and the dark side of that. I'm not going that far, but 
I do find it slightly amusing. I've always thought to myself, I didn't live through wartime Britain. So I have no idea how British people act in a crisis. I see how British people act when there's more than 10 people in a queue and that's not good. So I was really curious as to how we'd react as a nation to this crisis. And the answer is we came together really well and mass bought toilet roll. Um, that's about it. I mean, that's, that's, here. that's the apocalypse, you know, we, we, we run out of toilet roll. <laughs> That's the thing, you know, for what you're saying is, is people, people that, that, that didn't know how to react to the situation. So what, what does movies tell us? You know, Matt, we were talking earlier about uh, everything I know about your country. I'm left from movies. And, you know, what do movies Probably tell us? Dangerous. About? That you slept through. That you slept through. Yeah, I slept through, yes. But, I mean, <laughs> but uh, there was a couple of good movies, you know. Uh, but what I'm trying to say is, is, is people didn't know how to react. So the, the first thing they think about is, okay, so we've only seen this in the movies, you know, so how do we react? We make sure that we stockpile and everything. And the first thing everyone thought about was toilet paper. Speaking of the movies, there's a movie that came out in about 2000, 2001, right? I remember it really clearly because I remember being really shocked when I heard this. Like, Hollywood could lie to you? Like, what? This is insane. Um, but what had actually happened was I watched this film called U571. And it's a film, it's a World War II film where the US Navy intercept a German U-boat and they steal this decoding machine and it practically single-handedly wins the war because they can now understand the Germans' messaging. Yes, yes, I remember. Except it wasn't them, it was the British Navy. The Americans just didn't want to make a film about the British doing it, so they made it them. <laughs> I mean, was Pearl Harbor, you guys? Like, it was... It was... <laughs> Sounds like you're still sore, Phil. Oh, I am. I, I'm. A, I'm. A, the Americans steal all the good stuff. I, mean, you, yeah. I, I even get bitter. When, I even get bitter when my football team go to America for preseason. It's like, why are they there? They should be here. I mean, that was 19 years ago. It's okay. It's okay. You let it go now. I should. I, I should it's try. Like, it's like it's like Valkyrie, where half the 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 cost they speak with different uh, accents. I mean, it's like ridiculous. Some of them are German, and then you've just got a um, oh Tom Cruise just doing whatever he wants, just being normal American Tom Cruise. It's like, it's, it's, do they know he's American? Like, can they hear it? Uh, <laughs> no, he's definitely not the spy. Definitely not the spy. <laughs> I'm on the cover. Anyway, we, 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 we digress, Philip. We digress. Let's go straight to the question. Because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise we're going to be here all sure, day. Sure, I called you. Uh, uh, sorry, Paul, carry on. Yeah, don't call me Philip. Um, so, to the show we go. What are the main reasons people don't work from home? What are the main reasons that people don't work from home and are their reasons justified? Um, Matt, I'm going to kick it over to you. because Obviously, you and I both work in this space. You've obviously got some uh, strong opinions on this. What, what do you think are the main objectives that people have for, for kind of taking control and working virtually? Well, I think, one, uh, it, it comes down to the employer. Uh, and, you know, it's not, it's not for everyone to... Uh, have the comfort level if you are that employer to allow it. I think the pendulum has swung now all the way the other way. So uh, just as a, a frame of reference, when I started my business in 2002, way, way back, right? Uh, and we talked about the term bricks and mortar, which uh, some of us, uh, you know, if you remember, it was the opposite. It, it was, well, how can you possibly be doing that against conventional businesses? And, and it, it, you know, being ahead of the curve at, at that time, uh, with a, a marketing a PR business uh, was was difficult. You know, you were up against it, even though you had more to offer. And so over the years, I think you've got uh, a, a cultural shift, certainly with technology companies, 
uh, having that. And now, uh, it, you know, on the, on the side of the individual, it's not for everyone either, right, to be around uh, young kids or, or maybe they need a little bit of separation. So that's an individual decision. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens now that the pendulum has swung all the way and we have to be working at home and those companies that are uh, less innovative to allow their employees to do that now have to decide, uh, you know, what next. It's going to be a, a major cultural shift for sure. Often told that it's easier to manage people face to face than it is virtually or remote. And, and as somebody who's managed for ten years in both spaces, I actually prefer managing virtually, managing remote, because I always like to say that you go from a time-based currency to a solution-based currency, right? So you, now you're you're selling your solution, and it doesn't matter if you need to take your kids to school or stop in the middle of the day to go shopping or go see your personal trainer. You've got the freedom and flexibility to to do what you need to do. I wouldn't you agree, however, that you know, Phil, uh, you know, you've experienced it for the last 10 years yeah. and you've been doing it. So you understand this, you know, for you, it makes sense now. But the, the fact is we've got a whole new generation. And I think the, your, your younger generation, they will adopt this very easily because they've, they've, they've immersed themselves into the, the technology and the online world. But uh, global companies and small companies, big companies are still managed by a generation that this is extremely right. new for. I mean, my, I mean, uh, I, I'm, I look very young, I know, but I mean, my generation already is, is, uh, is taking strain with this kind of thing. You know, it's, you know, we're talking about, um, even simple things like schooling. My, my, my daughter's doing schooling online now and, and even my wife is like, geez, this is, this is a, she doesn't know if she can deal with this. You know, there's so many challenges around that. So there's, there's not just, it's a generational mind shift that we, we now have to, you know, all, all the, the normal workers, the, the average uh, Joe on the street, the, between 21 and, uh, and 31, those guys, they'll, they'll accept this very easily. But it's the guys in management, the guys in senior positions, the guys who are sure. only the companies that are, that are needing to make this change. How do we, how do we get that, you know, get, get that message across? Yeah, I think one of what there's a, a spill off of the last recession from that as well. So a lot of the industries that I work in have a skill gap and that skill gap is around mid management level. So without trying to be ageist in a lot of companies that would be sort of 30 to 40 years old, that sort of stage of your career. Now, because those industries lost a lot of those people during the recession, I never really replace them. So what you have is you have a senior management team and then you have some more junior people coming through and the people who would bridge the gap and almost communicate these messages in a business-like way to the board in a way that they'll understand aren't in the businesses, they're elsewhere. So there's a, there's a divide between, as you rightly say, Justin, you know, 2016, 2017, I can't remember when it was, I was in Shanghai at this event and I said on stage, this generation right now is going to be the generation of people that says, why do I have to work in an office? Why do I have to go somewhere to get an education? And why can't I live wherever I want to live? And the answer is that you can, you can do all those things. You don't have to do any of them. You can, you can do it your own way. Um, I think it's ridiculous, isn't it, Matt, that, that I think virtual addresses and virtual offices probably existed more mainstream the, before virtual working. So companies were prepared to virtually work, but they were still scared that people would find out about it. So they had to have a physical address that they could put down. That's right. See, my companies have had the same physical address, you know, <laughs> looking like it's an office uh, since that time. And and you do needed that. You needed that since then. 
uh, not as much now to, to, to look like you're competing as bricks and mortar, which of course is no longer in, in our vernacular. You know, the other thing is uh, with, the, with the Internship Institute over the years, uh, I have mainly worked with interns virtually. And uh, it's one of, the, one of the specialties in terms of our training employers. And you know, we're looking for creating opportunity so when you look at the college students who are, uh, especially during the academic year where they have the demands of school coming first, they wouldn't be able to intern otherwise if they weren't doing it virtually. It creates the opportunity for them to be able to uh, have the flexibility to squeeze in the time to, uh, you know, be on a, on a call like this and what have you, and then have other structure time. And then the rest of it, uh, you know, almost like taking a class to be able to go off and do the, the rest of their real work. Uh, I, and, and I think that to, to your point, you know, it, it is generational. And almost, to the, almost now, I think that the, the demands of the millennials and, and now Gen Z, uh, are, are, they're not gonna put up with being in the cubicle. Yeah. And, and the, the, the employers are gonna have to uh, adjust to, to that demand if they want the quality workforce. No, True. You're absolutely right. Look, we're gonna go to a break now. After the break, we're gonna do a session that we call Zoom In. Uh, as you may already know, Zoom In this week is going to be taking a look at the virtual working and the remote working space. So we'll be straight back. Hello and welcome back. So we're about to zoom in on the virtual working and remote working space. So uh, Matt, obviously, given that your your book is is has a lot of useful advice in there for people around this very space, you know, would you care to sort of share some insight in terms of let's start with businesses, uh, businesses who now find themselves sat at home, business owners that are slightly worried, perhaps that 
Um, they're not as efficient as they should be right now. Productivity's dropped off a cliff or maybe they're not working at all. Um, and they realize they need to embrace the remote working revolution. Where do they begin? Well, for one, there's a certain structure. There's a structure for the individual worker. There's a structure that the employer themselves and, and really the, the frontline manager is dealing uh, you know, directly. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a part of management training. And how do you create that structure for the employer as well as for the individual around accountability? So I, I think, you know, people can be absolutely more productive and manage their energy a lot better. And we do talk about energy management as part of doing work sprints and things like that, but also having the freedom, you know, you got to take a nap or you, know, you got to take a walk or, uh, or exercise just to get your energy up. Those are things you couldn't possibly do as well at an office space. So, but, but it's still an adjustment in both by the individual and, and the employer to, to create that structure. Discipline and discipline. I think there's, I mean, there's got to be a lot of self-discipline as well that hasn't adjusted. I mean, we, we were talking the other day. It's, it's almost you don't have the tie off at the end of the day moment when you get home and you hang it up and you go, I'm done for the day. When you work from home, it's very easy for your day just to be a constant cycle of work if you don't set boundaries for yourself and if you don't set a structure to your, to your day. It might not be the same structure you had in the office. But structure and routine is still massively important, isn't it? I mean, another question that, uh, that, that that's come to mind specifically in this environment is work ethic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, have, you have certain cultures that have a different work ethic to another. Um, I know in the States, uh, you guys, uh, the, uh, the average person, from what I understand, has more than one job at least, you know, because... You know they need to they need to make enough income. Uh, some some families have three three you know three jobs at a time kind of thing. So so you know so for an Ameri- for a company like in the U.S. you know for, for the people because they understand uh, you know having to do what you need to do. Um, but then the question around uh, where does work ethic versus time management? You know mm-hmm. because. Uh, you know, and that's, that's, a, that's a key question in my mind, work ethic versus time management, because I can be busy managing my time on things that I'm not productive on. Um, you know, you'll find that some kids, like for instance, schooling, like my nephew, he's loving doing, doing his last grade, grade 12 at home because there's no distractions. Whilst my, you know, another school, uh, another kid will have the opposite. They need that specifically attention, you know? So... Uh, so getting back to work ethic, you know, you know, how does how much is work ethic versus time management, and what is a realistic time management structure? How do we know we're actually being productive in our time? You know, do we are we just running around chasing our tail, or are we actually doing stuff? Are we actually achieving stuff? You know, I think actually it has less to do with with time as it does with uh, with you know we talk about the currency around time and energy and even freedom uh, to be able to do things. It really again comes back to accountability around uh, a checklist, right? You have deadlines, there's a structure around what you must achieve or how many hours you need to spend on something or when you have a checkpoint uh, with, uh, with a coworker or uh, you know, a, an online brainstorm, the kinds of things that you can build around. But ultimately, it's, the work still has to get done. Uh, there's still an expectation that needs to be set, which is really you know, naturally the key, both uh, by the employer and by the individual. Uh, and Justin, you made a really good point. You know, certainly it has to do with the the industry and the sector. And here in in the U.S., uh, we have shifted quite a bit from a manufacturing into a service economy. 
Uh, and you know, a lot of people have no choice. They do have two or three jobs and they are, you know, they are going to retail jobs and certainly our healthcare workers, right? They're, they don't have the opportunity to, to even have this, uh, this, this debate. So uh, you know, we can consider, consider those who can, can consider ourselves fortunate to even have the opportunity to have that freedom. And I, I do think it's, it's, it really is going to, uh, to be a, a major cultural shift over these, you know, this next uh, number of years even, uh, where we just don't have a choice. We have to work at home and, and it will become more the norm than, than the exception. I think so. I, 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 but that excites me a lot because obviously I've been, I spent 10 years now hanging on about global networking and working remotely. And, and, and all I can say to you is this, I, I, I grew up in, in a, in the Northwest of the UK, um, at a time when it was extremely impoverished. I mean, uh, I feel weird saying that on an African channel because our version of impoverished is not the same thing. But still, I, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. We didn't have money. You had to. And my first job was at 13. Uh, in fact, I got kicked out of school at 15 and decided to go work full time from there. So, you know, you earn your money and life changes. And, and one of the things that I always was aware of was that the opportunities weren't where I was. So I had two choices. I either moved to where the opportunities were which is the industrial revolution mindset, or I say, no, there's no reason I can't deliver this, this, and this from wherever I choose to do it and service those people. And when you start thinking that way, you start realizing, okay, so what don't I have? I have a good reputation where I am, but I have no reputation over there. So I need to partner with somebody who has a reputation over there that could also utilize our services. Now there's a network and now you start that you, they use your network to, to move into the UK. You use their network to move into the USA, for example, and before you know it, you now have five, six, seven clients that you're working over there. I made this point last time. I will definitely make it again because um, it was a big realization in my life. The false economy of employment. Um, one job does not make you safe. I'm a big believer in having multiple eggs in multiple baskets. Um, when I left full-time employment, I was board level and everyone said I was insane. Why are you leaving a salary? You're leaving the car. You're leaving all the benefits. What are you doing? You know, and, and they're the same people who years later now ask me how I did this and how I put it together because several of them, unfortunately, have now been made redundant from those jobs that they were very staunch to, to, to protect and take care of. Um, and unfortunately, when a company lays off 5,000 people, they're not thinking about your feelings. You have a high risk threshold, right? That's, that's the first part of a personality to be able to even take that leap and, you know, people have families and, uh, and uh, you know that can be very difficult for for some for individuals. In but particular. I think I was I think I don't know if it was just uh, maybe I was just naive. Maybe I didn't know enough. Maybe I wouldn't make the same decision again. I think I would. Um, I had a young family at the time. My my daughter was 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 still a tiny baby. Um, was newly married. Um, the reason I wanted to do it was because I could see something that was coming to that industry. I could see something on the horizon that was going to shake up the whole industry. And at the time. I was responsible for talent acquisition. So there's not going to be much talent acquisition going on. If they're going through a storm, it's going to be core staff batting down the hatches and try and get out of it. Um, so I needed to be a bit more resilient in terms of you know, what I was going to do. So you say, you know, high risk personality. I felt it would have been more of a risk to stay in employment. I felt that the, the low risk option was to have three, four, five clients paying. So if one or two did get lost because of the storm, I wasn't out of a job. I would still have income coming in. I could still provide for my family. So actually for me, that, that was the less risk, less risk option, which is why I took it. I'm still going to put my bet on naive. 
lot of yeah, yeah, definitely luck. Oh yeah. Oh well, I, I I say maybe not luck. I tried every wrong decision before I found the right path. Um, exactly. But I guess that's the joy of partners as well. You know, I could never have. I mean, this TV station, this show right now, the stuff we're producing, the work that we're doing, the conversations we're having with you right now, none of this would have happened if I hadn't have partnered with the right people at the right time. I brought something to the table. They brought something to the table, and together we've created something fantastic for all of us. Oh, I absolutely love it. So, look, if if people wanted to get started, then in terms of, um, I mean, I know you you specialize in in, in virtual internships, which is a, which is a phrase that was relatively new to me as well, because obviously we deal with apprenticeships over here, and very much like the USA, I guess traditionally apprenticeships were more sort of trade orientated. Um, you know, it was hands on labor quite often rather than uh, a, a virtual opportunity so to kind of inspire some of our, our audience you know could you talk us through some of the the opportunities that you've worked with in terms of virtual internships companies that perhaps have some success stories and have, have utilized it well sure well for one uh, you're absolutely right you know here uh, in america apprenticeships are considered more uh, very aligned with trades uh, and rooted in the you know the history back to you know ben franklin uh, days uh, and and yet when we talk about internships now, they in my vernacular that equates with apprenticeships and how you define them. I work with mostly uh, professional companies and things like that. And again, our, when 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 people hear about the internship institute as a nonprofit, they immediately think, well, what schools do you work with? Or you know, can you recruit for me? And and the fact is, we don't do either of those. We we focus on the you know on the the supply of the opportunity. So with that, we're, we're looking at the employers themselves and it's, it's kind of like, uh, it really is, you know, planting a seed or you know, installing uh, a program. And so a success story might be, uh, and, and, and it, it grows over time, right? So uh, we put an internship in place, um, called an apprenticeship, if you will, where uh, it was a manufacturing company, fairly, uh, fairly large, they've grown over time, but they had nothing. And once you put that structure in this was this was not virtual this was uh you know certainly uh um uh, on site and the uh they just started with two interns well over time uh they uh they've grown that to be um uh 50 50 interns a year so those opportunities continue wow. to uh expand so it's not just this one time oh we've done this uh it's uh it's something that uh that continues on so that's the rewarding part of network i love that guys we're going to go to a break immediately after the break we're going into my favorite part of the show as you know which is called brainstorming and uh, we'll be right back
Welcome back. Picking up where we left off and going into brainstorming. So Matt was just telling us about some of the success stories and and and, and I love the idea of that. I mean, we had the conversation off air, Matt, that, that I started off in football and when I, or soccer as you would refer to it, um, when I knew that I wasn't going to be a professional player, I went into coaching and that included a lot of grassroots stuff, a lot of academy level football. So my mentality being a bit of a nerd and a bit of a big data nerd was to try and combine my love of data and my love of sport. And my plan was almost like the film Moneyball to try and reverse engineer. Okay, that's what a star looks like now. What did they look like 10 years ago and what key traits did they have that we could try and identify? But the fun thing is I've always done that in my talent strategies as well for businesses. I look at who the top performers are and where they've come from, what kind of personalities they have, what kind of backgrounds they're from, and then try and replicate the same thing through an apprenticeship scheme or an internship, as you would call it. I think where I'm particularly interested in, if there is a business right now that's saying, do you know what? We probably have some opportunities available that, that could work for an intern or, or an apprentice. How would we go about setting up a, a virtual internship? What, what does that look like? For one, you know, the, the mechanics, uh, you know, call it by any name uh, in terms of work-based learning, are exactly the same. And uh, it all starts with the CEO of any size company, solopreneur up to the, the largest. If you do not have the buy-in of the, the, the chief executive, uh, you have a diminishing return or, or a failure. So that's definitely the number one uh, critical success factor. Uh, from there, someone has to own the ball, right? So that might be a, a human resources person, uh, typically in a larger company or in a smaller company or, or uh, in a chief bottle washer, uh, you know, in, the, uh, in that example. But you, gotta, you have to own it. Uh, you have to make sure that you are clear in going into having a program that you recognize from an inventory of the various kinds of work that need to get done that there are, uh, there's a supply of work that can be well-structured uh, for interns to do. Uh, in a way, you're trading your time, right? Internships happen one-on-one, so one-on-one. So if you're that supervisor, you know what you have to get done. And if you could offload that uh, and, and have someone else do it, there's a huge time gain. And that, that's, a, that's a misconception uh, in, in a lot of ways uh, about that. Um, we've shown that someone can actually gain over 200 days a year in productivity. Uh, working with interns in that way. And then the supervisors have to be trained. If you're talking virtual internship or in any way, it's different. It's different working with an apprentice and an intern than, than in general, uh, you know, on both sides of that, of that equation. And then lastly, I think uh, overlaying a mentoring program yep. uh, is, is also yeah. very, very important. Um, and, and the reason for that is, if, especially in a larger company, you might have the apprenticeship uh, on the front lines. Uh, being managed by uh, typically maybe lower level managers, frontline managers. And it's something that has to be cultural and you have to get everyone involved. And so you might look at the business heads or even the executives. If you can get them involved in, in a mentoring program so that they're, you know, they're experiencing those relationships firsthand, it really is the glue that's going to make a program uh, take root and, uh, and grow successfully. Matt, I mean, uh, just a question. Um, now, I mean, I've, I've been involved with uh, strategic development for organizations for eight years or so, and, you know, and, and we've tried to train, you know, train senior management executives uh, just on strategic, uh, uh, you know, concepts and, and methodologies and those kind of things. And 
It's, uh, it's, it's very, uh, they understand it, you know, it's, they write exams and they do international certifications and, you know, everything seems like it's a-okay. But then when, when uh, uh, implementing those kind of strategies, it, it, that's where the challenge lies. It becomes an, an issue of confidence in my mind. Uh, they've got the knowledge, but they don't have the confidence to apply it. So in, in, your, in your opinion, Matt, what's the, what's the best way for people to now approach this? Uh, to actually to be able to find the right solution for them, not just go, uh, you know, they, they, can they find people, you know, who, this is a new, this is a, a fairly new concept. Working for many people. Working from anywhere is a new concept, you know. Uh, yes, people work from home, but it's generally those little businesses of some sort. It's not, you know, staff necessarily working from home. So how do people, you know, manage this transition? You know, in your view, I mean, how do we how do we take a normal company, eggs uh, um, box limited, so they 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 manage boxes of eggs, and how do we take them? I was like, that's Microsoft. Xbox. <laughs> I was gonna say, Xbox is owned by Microsoft, but carry on. Stop saying. Stop saying eggs. We're taking this company, you know, the, the, the box company that deals with eggs, and Egg. and how do we take them to the next level to to apply these strategies to be able to, you know, is is there is there is there a way for them to get help, you know, because they're gonna need it. Sure. Well, uh, you know, the easy answer is that there's uh, you know practices around this companies, technology sector in particular, that have done this successfully for some time now. And it's going to come down to training, training and structure. And, uh, you know, interesting, you know, if we're, let's say, talking about the example of internship apprenticeships, getting the buy-in is also the hard part. You know, you can provide training, but if they're going to fall asleep, you know, that isn't really going to uh, sink in and, and, and take hold. So that's where mentorship uh, comes from, I'm assuming. What was that? That's, that's where, where the that's mentorship where, comes from. That's where the mentorship comes from then. Yes. What did he say, Phil? I, what's yeah, his he's still, I think he's I think still he's talking still about eggs. eggs. <laughs> yeah, he's still going on about eggs. <laughs> no, no, so what I'm don't, saying don't is... Don't worry about that, it. Uh, after the training to ensure that they don't fall asleep, uh, is a, they, there needs to be a mentorship program to, mentorship to support program, that yeah. so that people can actually not, just, not only learn it, but they can learn to apply it from That's an right. expert. That's right. It, it has to be uh, embedded into the mainstream uh, uh, for certain... And uh, again, I, I, I still come back to uh, the chief executive. And, and, it's, and it's interesting because they are so caught up in so many other things and the demands that are on them that in terms of you know, could be stockholders and other finances and just infrastructure. And uh, they find it very hard for enough of themselves to be left over to deal with this critical issue. And yet they still have to make and find that space in order to drive it down so that it's done right, uh, both culturally and mechanically. So, uh, you know, if, if, if you're a chief executive listening to this, uh, you know, the buck stops with you and, and you have to be the driver for sure. You know, but I guess that does still apply to everybody because I always say that everybody is the CEO of their own career. You know, whether you're a freelancer or an employee, you know, you have to be, nobody else is going to take your career development and your business development seriously if you don't. So the book starts at home. But Matt, you're talking about mentorships. I absolutely love that because mentorships for me are a huge part of what I do. They're also a huge part of, of, of why I've been as successful as I have. I, and I'm always surprised when I speak to people and they say that they don't have a mentor. So as a piece of advice, it doesn't matter what level you are at this, you could genuinely be anybody at any level. If you don't have 
at least one mentor to begin with, please go and get one. And some practical advice as to how, you know, look to people who you've been inspired by. Look to people who are at a stage, you know, imagine that, that life is a ladder. Imagine somebody who's a few rungs up that ladder further up and you want to know how they got there. You know, go and mentor, go and work with somebody like that. And you'd be so surprised how many people will actually be open. I mean, I'm always flattered every time I receive a message that says, I'd love it if you could mentor me in this. It's such a, I mean, it, it means so much to me. It's more than the business. It's, it's far more than that. It, it's, I enjoy mentoring different businesses and helping them grow and giving them the bit that I have because I know that I'm good at a certain part, but the other parts, I have mentors and people that I can go to and say, what do I do with this? You know, the world's falling apart. You know, I've known people who've scaled businesses remotely, globally, and in presence. I'm constantly picking their brains about, okay, I have this client or, okay, I have this issue in my business. What would you do? Um, and sometimes it's just nice to have somebody that can say, oh yeah, it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Well yeah. said. Well said. You know, the one thing, you know, for, for one, if it's, you know, in being the, the, the chief executive of your own career, certainly it's up to you to seek out and, and, and keep those relationships strong in a formal program. Uh, it, it really actually also needs a lot of structure, uh, particularly because the mentee or, or protege, uh, if there's no activity plan, there's no a set of expectations, then that individual could get intimidated. And then the executive who might at first be very excited about, oh, wow, I have the opportunity to mentor someone. And then they never hear from them because they're not being proactive. They're being busy. And then it all falls apart and everyone's disappointed. So you that in that particular uh, application of, of a formal program in a company, that activity plan is the most essential. But, um, you know, you couldn't be more right about, uh, you know, at, at any point in our career, we're constantly in need of growing and you know, we can't do it ourselves. And, and seeking that out is, is, in, is certainly incumbent on us individually. Well, in recruitment, I get to hear oh, and have done for many years, there are a generation of people out there who are rather entitled and they, they kind of think that management should just give them promotions and give them things. And my attitude is always, well, if you're not putting your career as a priority, why should anybody else? I mean, you did, exactly. it, it, I think that the X factor and uh, America's got talent and all that kind of stuff has ruined the world. Cause everyone just thinks that one day someone's going to walk in put a microphone in front of them and go, you're famous now, you know? Yeah. Um, and it you doesn't know, work it, like that. It doesn't, you know, and, and, and one of the things uh, I, and it, 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 it's actually about, it's a mind shift to, to approach every single client job business as if you are the CEO of your destiny. And, you know, I used to speak at technology boot camps for young entrepreneurs and I always ask them, so why do you want to be in business? And they're like, no, I want to be my own boss. I want to have my own time. I want to, you know, all those normal, nice things. And I say to him, like, okay, so you, you want your own business because you want to be your own boss. Okay, yes. So that person that buys a product from you, what, is that person important? Yes, it is. Okay, will you do what that person requires from you to be able to get what you need from that person in exchange? Yes, I will. So is that not the definition of a boss? So, so you, you, it's, it's, it's about forgetting this ego regarding someone being high up. I mean, I want to achieve that. Uh, and, and my ego will be boosted. It's about taking control of every aspect of your job. You know, uh, do what you do, but do it as well as you can do. Yeah. Uh, and 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 if if you constantly have this attitude of, uh, you know, I, I'll I'll get there if I do something, then it's not gonna it's not gonna come to fruition. You need to 
you need to get to where you need to be by the fact that you're 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 giving your energy uh, where it needs to be, not thinking about where I could be. Just a thought. No, I completely love that. Look, we're about to head into a break. We're going to wrap up when we come back. Uh, also, send you a couple of directions as to where you can find Matt's book and get in contact with him as well. So we'll see you then. back so just before we head into good news matt is still with us matt thank you so much for your time it's been completely invaluable um my pleasure thanks for having me and i'm sure people will get a lot from this so hopefully people have taken three things away from this they've taken away um virtual internships and internships in general and how they can can benefit the business and uh, they've taken away mentorship and the, the, the fact that they should go and look for a mentor and eggs lots of eggs 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 Egg. Sort of egg business. Eggs, People though. need eggs, man. People need <laughs> eggs. But I, I mean, I need serious, eggs. Serious. I've, I've serious. had like three home delivery shops, and only one of them delivered eggs. So, that's from yeah. eggs. That's from, that's from eggs. From all the toilet paper. <laughs> all, all the toilet paper right. you've hoarded. Let's not talk about toilet paper, please. It's, it's, uh, that's a different business altogether. Well, it's a good business to be in right now. Let's put it that way. Um, I, I do love the fact that humans just kind of forgot what we need to survive, though. Like, we haven't sold out <laughs> of bottled water. We haven't sold out of food. We, we sold out of toilet paper. Toilet paper and booze. Priorities, people. About, yes. I don't yes. your countries, but our countries is like, you know, you know we, per capita, I think we're one of the biggest drinkers in the world. Uh, so, so believe you me. <laughs> When, uh, yeah, we even been in the Brits, but it's because, you don't, you know, anyway, let's not go there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, That's because you have more days of sunshine. If we had more sunshine, we'd, we'd out drink you. I'm, I'm convinced of it. <laughs> but 
<laughs> do you think because you're so depressed because there's no sunshine, you'd probably drink more, you know? Because oh, no, you've seen us when we go abroad, we just drink even more. <laughs> exactly. And you get sunburned, so you're all nice and red and drinking. <laughs> exactly. You can always spot the Brits with the ones look that look like a lot by the pool that's like drunk at 11 a.m. <laughs> they're happy. They don't care. They're just happy that they're in the sun. They're even on holiday. You know, I mean, I've got third degree burns. I'm severely dehydrated and I'm loving it. <laughs> Matt, how can people find their way to you, buddy? How can people get in touch with you for advice? Where can people find the book other than on? Uh, well, I know they can find it on Amazon. Do you, want, do you want to give us a bit of an idea where we can find you? Yeah, thank you. Well, it, it's called Zisms. Uh, I guess that's the American pronunciation. It'll be Zed, right? Zedisms uh, with the hyphen. Uh, and uh, insights to live by. So right, you just find it on Amazon, and uh, you'll see the reviews and, and and the opportunity to take a look inside. And if you read, you know that you're gonna know if it's for you. Um, my website is uh, zisms.com again with the hyphen or dash, and uh, there's some free resources there as well. Uh, but give it a look, and um, you know my purpose is to get it in as many people's hands uh, for the very purpose of making a positive impact. So uh, I really hope people take the opportunity to see for themselves whether. It can do that for them. One, one quick question, Matt. I'm going to put you on the spot now. Um, if you had to give me between 10 and two, uh, 15 words, why, what, what's your book about and why people should go out and check it out? Because why, why should we check out your book? Give, give, me, give me 10, 15 words. You don't have to count them. Yeah, really. Don't make me count while I'm talking. <laughs> uh, Look, I mean, uh, there are unique concepts in there um, around earned confidence, around being aware of spiders and things uh, around inevitability, the law of attraction. If you like Malcolm Gladwell and his books and uh, The Secret, Rhonda Byrne, you know, that, if you read those, you'll like my book. So, uh, you know, interpersonal and personal growth and then into mindfulness and energy, things that certainly apply to my experience around career uh, and then it being actionable coming out of it with a life enrichment action plan. So um, that was more than 15 words. No, it's Matt, perfect. No, that's, that's exactly gives me what I need because ultimately you're, you're giving people a perspective, uh, an additional perspective to life and how to manage it and how to manage uh, all the things that we're facing now with practical steps, not just talking about ideas and concepts, but actually giving them physical. And, and I like books like that. So I'll definitely go be checking out the, that book, man. Thank you. Oh, any I'll, of our look, audience... I'll look for your receipt. Exactly. And it, he's, he, he wants the discount you. code. Now, any of our audience that are watching this... Audible. I want the Audible. Audible. Make your way over to Amazon and check out the book. Check out the reviews. Um, cannot recommend it highly enough. Matt, this has been really enjoyable. Thank you so much, brother. It's Thanks. been great. Hopefully get you on again sometime in the future. Um, hopefully not in another 10 years when you've written your next book. Um, uh, it's been great to have you on. Uh, I'm sure our audience have got an awful lot from this. We're going to roll into good news now. As, as you know, we always like to end the show um, with some clips that we found from around the world that show you that it's not all doom and gloom. Um, but until next time, stay remote, stay global. Thanks, guys. Well, guys.